For several weeks now, we've been asking the question, what does it mean to be alive? And every week we've noted that regardless of what anyone else says about life or living or being alive, the Apostle John said that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. And so over the last several weeks, we've, we've said that real life begins in death. We said that if we want to live, we must first die to ourselves. We said that dying well means repenting of our sins, being baptized into Christ, and allowing the Holy Spirit to reshape the way that we think, the way that we live, and the way that we speak. We said that if we fail to die well, if we die on our terms rather than on the terms uh, that Jesus sets forth in the scriptures, we're only going to end up rotten. And that kind of faith is worthless and dead. We need the kind of faith that produces fruit so that we can make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. As we close out this series today, uh, if I could sum up the, the intent or the heart behind this message, I could do it, I think, in one word, and that word would be hope. You see, there are a lot of self-identifying Christians who are not actually following Jesus. There are a lot of believers who look good on the outside, but there's no fruit in their lives. There are a lot of Christians who know a lot about Jesus, but they don't actually have a relationship with him because they've just tried to add a little bit of Jesus to their dead lives rather than giving their dead lives over to Jesus. To put it simply, there are a lot of Christians who are still lifeless and buried in their graves. And while I suspect that there are many who've been awakened to this possibility over the last several weeks, they've perhaps been inclined to think that their situation is hopeless. But I'm telling you today that because Jesus' tomb is empty, we can be filled with hope. Nothing is too dead for the God of the universe to breathe life into. Mark chapter 5 illustrates this fact perfectly. You see, this passage takes place at the height of Jesus' public ministry. As you'll soon see, everywhere Jesus went, he drawed, he, 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 drawed, he drew huge, frenzied crowds. Um, but his goal wasn't to just draw big crowds. His goal was to slaughter sin and defeat death. Paul put it perfectly when he said, thank God. He gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. So uh, one day after Jesus had healed a man who had been possessed by demons, he and his disciples were hopping back into a boat and heading for home. And this is where Mark chapter 5 verse 21 picks up. It says, Jesus got into the boat again and went back to the other side of the lake where a large crowd gathered around him on the shore. Then a leader of the local synagogue, whose name was Jairus, arrived. When he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet, pleading fervently with him. My little daughter is dying, he said. Please come and lay your hands on her. Heal her so she can live. So for the sake of clarity, Jairus was a religious leader uh, in this town's local synagogue. Today, um, this would kind of be like a hybrid between like a church elder and a county councilman. The leader of the synagogue was one of the most important and respected positions in the entire Jewish community. He was responsible for conducting the worship services, but he was also very prominent within the community itself. 
And so we need to keep in mind that during this time, the Jews, especially those in positions of leadership, perceived Jesus to be a dangerous heretic. He'd caused trouble in other synagogues that he'd visited, and it's unlikely that Jesus would have been invited to teach in this one. Jesus had a reputation for challenging orthodoxy, and his preaching threatened the power of the religious establishment. But on this day, none of that mattered, not to Jairus. Jairus buried whatever prejudice or animus he may have held toward Jesus. He set aside any claim to authority that his position may have afforded him, and he threw himself at Jesus' feet. There is no greater sign of humility and submission than to lay on the ground at someone's feet. Once there, Jairus began to plead. I mean, think about this. This well-known guy, an important figure, this respected leader on the ground begging for help. And let's be honest with each other. There's no parent watching this sermon that wouldn't do exactly for their child what Jairus was doing for his. Verse 35 tells us, while he was still speaking with her, you see, while Jairus and Jesus were having a conversation, a sick woman came to Jesus looking for healing, and he was finished in talking with her, uh, and messengers arrived from the home of Jairus, the leader of the synagogue, and they told him, your daughter is dead. There's no use troubling the teacher now. So let's just pause Sometimes we can be reading the scriptures and, and forget that these are real people with real problems. All right, let the gravity of what's happened sink in. Jairus just got the news that none of us ever want. But many of us have at one time or another received. The damage was too severe. The infection was too great. The medicine was ineffective. The surgery was unsuccessful. Many of us have sat in those rooms or taken those phone calls. It's news that hollows you out and and leaves you feeling empty on the inside. It's like speeding down the hill of a roller coaster without your feet ever leaving the ground. If you've been there, you know what I'm talking about. Your, your mind races. You just keep thinking, this has got to be a dream. This cannot be real. I've got to wake up. If you've never been there, I pray that you never are. It's a pain that can't really be explained. It's just a, a void, an emptiness that can't ever be filled when you get this kind of news. Verse 36, But Jesus overheard them and said to Jairus, Don't be afraid. Just have faith. Remember last week we said that Jesus wants us to have the kind of faith that produces fruit. See, Jesus believed that we could have the kind of faith that that moved mountains, that accomplished big things. But you can almost hear the opposition begin to raise their voices. What's this rebel talking about now? What's this troublemaker stirring now? When did death become a faith issue? Dead is dead. Gone is gone. Shouldn't we just move on, Jesus? Fact, isn't isn't Jesus being profoundly insensitive right now? Isn't death, isn't it hopeless? Isn't Isn't it beyond what we can do anything about? Verse 38, When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus 
saw much commotion and weeping and wailing. He went inside and asked, why all this commotion and weeping? The child isn't dead, she's only asleep. The crowd laughed at him. And don't kid yourself, you would have laughed at him too. You may have even gotten confrontational. I mean, keep in mind, this is before there's a New Testament. This is before there's Facebook or there's Twitter. All right, Many of these people have never seen Jesus face to face and heard very little of his teaching for themselves. Among them were probably some natural skeptics like many of us. And then enters this guy who is either too ignorant to recognize death for what it is, or too arrogant to see what's right in front of him. These people, they knew that their little girl was dead. They'd seen death before, and they knew that the situation was hopeless. If it had been your daughter or your niece or your granddaughter lying there lifeless and cold and some stranger and his entourage came into your house and they said, oh, don't sweat this. She's just, she's just taking a nap. Or, oh, you guys are making too big of a deal about this. She's just, she just tuckered out. You would ask that person to leave or you would force them to leave. But that's not what we see in the scriptures. Let's keep going. It says, but he, Jesus, made them all leave and he took the girl's father and mother and his three disciples into the room where the girl was lying. Holding her hand, he said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, get up. And the girl, who was 12 years old, immediately stood up and walked around. They were overwhelmed and totally amazed. Now let's be clear, overwhelmed and amazed is probably putting things mildly. This is no parlor trick. This is not some kind of illusion. The little girl gets up and she begins to walk. There's no category for what they are experiencing in this moment. The best we can do is to say they were overwhelmed and amazed. But the point is this. Nothing is too dead for Jesus to breathe life into. The God of the universe can bring life to dead places. Several hundred years before Jesus was born, his ancestors, the the Israelites, rebelled against God by worshiping idols and completely defying the healthy boundaries that he established for them to live and thrive within. To put it bluntly, they were lifeless. I mean, sure, they had religious ceremonies, they prayed, they even made sacrifices, but none of this pleased God because it was all a show. So to get their attention and discipline their rebellion, God arranged for them to be invaded and taken captive by foreign armies. You might think that this is cruel, but keep in mind, one, you're not God. But two, and this is maybe just as important, like the scriptures tell us that God disciplines those that he loves. And so they spent many, many years living in exile and captivity. You see, some sins are rooted deep down, and some truths take time to take hold. When they had been in exile for about 16 years, God began speaking to a prophet named Ezekiel about the hope of restoration. Ezekiel recorded God's message 
in this way. He said, the Lord took hold of me and I was carried away by the Spirit of the Lord to a valley filled with bones. He led me all around among the bones that covered the valley floor. They were scattered everywhere across the ground and were completely dried out. Then he asked me, Son of man, can these bones become living people again? Oh, sovereign Lord, I replied, you only know the answer to that. Then he said to me, speak a prophetic message to these bones and say, dry bones, listen to the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says. Look, I'm going to put breath into you and make you live again. I will put flesh and muscles on you and cover you with skin. I will put breath into you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So I spoke this message just as he told me. Suddenly as I spoke, there was a rattling noise all across the valley. The bones of each body came together and attached themselves as complete skeletons. Then as I watched, muscles and flesh formed over the bones. The skin formed to cover the bodies, but they still had no breath in them. Then he said to me, speak a prophetic message to the winds, son of man. Speak a prophetic message and say, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Come, O breath from the four winds, breathe into these dead bodies so they may live again. Hundreds of years before Jesus stepped into history, God was telling us that nothing is too dead for him to breathe life into There may be no fruit in your faith. Your faith may be on life support. It may be in the morgue. Heck, it may be in the hearse on the way to the cemetery. But if God could speak life into a dusty pile of old bones, couldn't he also speak life into our dead faith? So I spoke the message as he commanded me, and breath came into their bodies. They all came to life and stood up on their feet, a great army. What would Harrison County look like? What would, what would our neighborhoods look like? What would our families look like? What would our church look like if we were all fully alive and filled with the Spirit of Jesus and united as a single army of faith-filled warriors? Can you imagine what things around here would look like if that were the case? Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones represent the people of Israel. They are saying, We have become old, dry bones. All hope is gone. Our nation is finished. Therefore prophesy to them and say, This is what the sovereign Lord says. Oh, my people, I will open your graves of exile and cause you to rise again. Then I will bring you back to the land of Israel. When this happens, oh my people, you will know that I am the Lord. I will put my spirit in you and you will live again and return home to your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken and I have done what I said. Yes, the Lord has spoken. There is nothing too dead for the God of the universe to breathe life into. Not old skeletons, not wayward nations, and not a dead faith. Paul told the Ephesians that God is so rich in mercy and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. Through Jesus, even though we may have been dead and buried, 
we now have the hope of living again and having the kind of faith that impacts those around us and changes their lives for eternity. God told Ezekiel he'd bring the dead back to life. Jesus raised the dead in his ministry and his resurrection, the resurrection of Jesus, put death in his grave. Because Jesus' tomb is empty, we can be filled with hope. Nothing is too dead for the God of the universe to breathe life into. And so if, if you're at a place in life where you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and you are ready to start following him today, I would encourage you to repent of your sins. Come be baptized so you can wash those sins away and the Holy Spirit might have the opportunity to come live inside you, reshape you from the inside out, and guide you in your thinking, your living, and your speaking. Remember, following Jesus isn't necessarily something that's easy, but we don't have to do it alone. God's Spirit will direct us and guide us, and we'll have a church family to walk alongside of us as well. You do not have to stay dead. If your faith is fruitless, it doesn't have to stay that way. The God of the universe can bring life to dead places. He told us in His Word, and He proved it by resurrecting His Son from the grave. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for Jesus, whose life gives us hope. Father, help us to be ambassadors of this message. Help us to take life into dead places so that your kingdom might advance, your gospel might spread, so that we might make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. We love you and we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.